We have said all the way through the fall that you do not live on expectations. You live on promises. You don't live on expectations. You live on promises. And the dalliance of sin holds before you false promises that appear to be good and true. And they tell us that the promises that God has given us really are not for our good and that we should not believe in them. But we should trade the good promises of God for the false promises of sin into the world. And we've learned in the book of Joshua that the unfailing promise of God's presence gives us the courage we need. And that every single one of us in this room, if we were to go down the aisles and we were to say, what is that you need courage for? Every single one of us, including me and my family, need to remember the good promises of God and his presence with his people to take comfort and to find joy in this season of life. And here we are at the very end of the book, the last of the three summons of God's people. In 22, God summons his people together to be unified. In chapter 23, he summons them together to be committed to the fidelity of his word. And in 24, he calls them together to covenant renewal. C.S. Lewis calls the promises of God the unblushing promises of God because they were so incredibly bold. So give your attention, if you would, to Joshua chapter 24 as I read it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but listen, in a world of spin, God's word is true and it stands forever. Please hear his word. It's a long passage. Feel free to remain seated. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent before you the hornet 
which drove them out before you and the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, verse 14. Now, therefore, serve the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. And therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the tenebreth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us, and therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand what his word says. Jesus, would you now take our hearts and as the loving father that you are, would you comfort us by the good news of the gospel? Show us your face in this text, Jesus, and draw me even through my own preaching, draw me to repentance, even as you draw each of us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here and that you intend to change us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see just a glimmer yet again through the refraction of Joshua 24 of the glorious good news of your presence with your people. And you pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If there is a place in the Bible that is the most famous place to talk about covenant renewal, it is, without a doubt, Joshua chapter 24. It is the locus classicus. It is the classic place. It is the place where you go to understand what covenant renewal is. 
And you see a DNA of renewal here. And here's the pattern of covenant renewal. You remember. You become reaware. And you enter into repentance. That's true of every one of us when we've ever experienced renewal in our life. You remember what God has done, whether it's in your life or through his word and what he has done in redemptive history. You become reaware again. Your mind is opened to the depth of your own sin and the heights of the Lord's holiness. And then you gladly walk in repentance because you're turning away from what is a false promise and turning towards something that is good. But I have to admit, as I, as I read Joshua 24, I struggled with something. I struggle with the mystery of God's timing in my life. Because most people in Owasso and in Tulsa and in Oklahoma, we may have grown up in the church, many of us have, and we may have even had this amazing experience where the gospel made sense, that you knew that it was not because of your good works or not because of your moral effort or how many stars you got on your Bible study chart when you were a little kid or Sunday school chart, but you knew that it was resting in the promises of God alone that saved you. And that by resting in the promises of God alone that saved you, you had your sins forgiven, wiped clean. And not only that, but that Jesus' righteousness and alien righteousness was given to you so that when the Father looks at you, he cannot possibly love you anymore because when he looks at you, he sees his Son. And oh, the warmth of knowing that comfort. In a world where there are so many competitions for people's affections, you don't have to compete for your fathers because the competition was secured for you on the cross many years ago and the victory was proclaimed in his resurrection for you three days later. And you're his if you're a Christian. And that doesn't mean that your life is going to necessarily be more moral than a non-believers. There's plenty of non-believers who it appears that they have more common grace in their life than believers have special grace, isn't it? And so we struggle in the suburbs. We struggle at Tulsa's all a suburb, in the city. We struggle because we see people, we know people, who do not believe in Christianity because they compare lives of those who are Christians and those who are not, and they don't see much difference. And I want you to know that the progression of holiness in the Christian life can sometimes be painfully slow. Painfully slow. And when I come to a passage like Joshua chapter 24, I take great comfort that Joshua does not pull any punches and he is fiercely honest with the reality of God's timing. So I'm going to talk about this passage in three ways. The mystery of his timing the movements of his presence in our lives and then the man in the moment. The mystery of his timing, the movement of his presence, and the man in the moment. Let's look at these three things together. First, the mystery of his timing. You don't hear his voice often. Your hearts are hardened many times because of the Lord's timing. Because we think God is slow on the job. Look what the text says. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, he recounts for them a redemptive narrative of all that's happened in the history of Israel. And he says, The Lord, the God of Abraham, of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, and Terah, 
a moon worshiper, was the father of Abraham. And God called Abraham out of his foreign gods. And he took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and he led him through all the land of Canaan, and he gave him a promise, Genesis 12, 3 says. So what was the promise that God gave to Abraham, friends? That you will have a land, that you'll be a blessing to the nations, and that you will have many offspring. And I love what he says. He goes, and made his offspring many, in verse 3. And then God says, I gave him Isaac. Well, thank you, God. You gave me Isaac, and it only took you 25 years to give me Isaac. Okay, well, let's keep going. And I gave to Isaac. Oh, he's going to have all these kids. I gave him Jacob and Esau. And one of those was a disaster. <laughs> and I gave Esau the disaster, the one who was not part of God's covenant, who rejected God and moved away. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. It was beautiful. He got everything. But Jacob and his children, what? They got the house on the hill with a view. They went down to Egypt into 400 years of slavery. Sometimes one of our most existential reasons why we don't believe the gospel is because we think God is slow on the job. And Joshua reminds all of Israel of this. They've just taken the land. They spent five years in the conquest. And here they are back at Shechem where they were in Joshua chapter 8. Right next between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim where they used to call out God's covenant blessings and covenant curses to each other in the great worship service of Joshua chapter 8. And here Joshua says, God's promises are true, but you know what? His timing is not your timing. And sometimes he will work painfully slow. And the Bible is so refreshing because it just doesn't pull any punches. If, if the writers of Scripture were trying to pull the wool over our eyes and try to trick us, don't you think they would have smoothed over passages like this? But he says, no. Like, he gave you promises. Then he gave you one person. It only took 25 years. Then he gave you Jacob. That took 20 years. And then he sent your people down to Egypt. That was 400 years. And then finally, he gives them Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the astounding benefits that God gives to the people of faith, the great hall of faith. And it says, as people conquered kingdoms, they shut the mouths of lions. You know, you've read this before. You know the passage. They escaped the edge of the sword. They routed armies. They observed resurrections. I'd like to see that. They observed resurrections. That's the victorious life. That's what God does for those who believe, right? But the writer continues without even breaking his pace, and he says, but others were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That's also what God does for those who believe. So friends, 
please hear me as tenderly as I can possibly say this. In the midst of your struggle with your health, with your finances, with your job, with your children, with this life at this stage of your life, not being what you thought it might have been 20 years ago, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to you. And he is with you. And he will not begin to move you toward covenant renewal until you can rest in the mystery of his timing and you can be okay with it. In fact, dare I say, the Lord may be even leaving you in this season in order to help you learn how to rest in his promises for you. And what are the promises that we've seen? All throughout the book of Joshua, we've been looking at it all fall, the first promise that we said is that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're a believer, if you're a believer in this room, which I hope is not all of us, because I know some of us in here are not, but if you're a believer in Christ, the Lord is with you. And the unfailing promise of God's presence gives you the courage that you need. But if you do not understand what has been given to you, you will not know how to use it. Remember that back in September. Joshua chapter 1. You must know how to use what he has given to you. And in Joshua chapter 2, it's the outsiders who think they're in that are actually out. And it's, it's the insiders who think they're in who are actually out. And it's the outsiders like Rahab who can possibly believe that they would be in who are brought in. And in Joshua chapter 3, the strength for endurance comes from knowing the Lord fights for us and with us and the battles that he calls us to. And you see that God takes you across the river in your utter and complete helplessness in Joshua chapter 3. And when your children ask of you, you are to remember how Jesus led you across the river of sin and death and tyranny because he carried you across. The Ark of the Covenant was in the middle of the river and the waters receded. Jesus was the one who did it for you to take you across the great river. And then in Joshua 6, everything about everybody will be exposed. And you will be sliced by the sword's edge of grace or of judgment. Which will it be? In Joshua chapter 7, O Achan, sin is cunning. It has consequences, and sin is always communal. In Joshua chapter 8, God engages his people to obey his word in light of his presence of renewal. In Joshua chapter 9, the trouble with common sense. If you neglect God's counsel, it leads to trouble every time. Joshua 10, the battle of the five kings. We follow and we fight behind the Lord of the nations and the Lord of nature who wins the battle for us. And then the great gathering passages at the end of Joshua. That God calls you to covenant unity. You cannot experience renewal unless the prerequisite of unity in God's people has been at work. God can't renew our church if there are divisions across the aisles, as it were. He will not bless our church if there are people in this body that you have a grudge against and you don't have the courage and the boldness to practice Matthew 18 and lovingly confront them. And I've even heard people 
confront one another about issues since that sermon. It's beautiful to confront friends. It's wonderful to confront people because you do it in love because the Lord has confronted you with your own sin. And then we see in Joshua 23, covenant fidelity. God is faithful in his judgment as well as in, in his grace. He's faithful to who he is. And so now we come to covenant renewal. And many of us have a problem with it because we believe God's slow on the job. Friends, he's not. And his promise is true to us whether we are shedding the mouths of lions or we're being given over to him. His promises stand. And for some of you in this life, you will see why you went through the things that you've gone through. But in some situations, you won't. But you have the comfort of your Savior who is with you, who is never slow on the job. I love the fact that Scripture is just so blunt. You know, one of the reasons when I was um, younger and struggling with the claims of the gospel that I began to believe the gospel was true is because, you know, when, to tell the story at the very end of Matthew about the resurrection of Jesus, right? And Matthew tells the story, and he says, Jesus rose from the dead, and who meets him at the tomb? But only those who have no valid testimony in the court of law, women. And then when it comes to time where Jesus presents himself to the disciples, like these are the guys who, if anybody struggles with faith, it wouldn't be these guys because they were with him. They saw him. Like they're having breakfast with him on the beach after his resurrection. And I love the fact that Matthew goes out of his way to say in Matthew 28, verse 17, after meeting the resurrection of the Lord, it said many believed, but three words give me great comfort. But some doubted. And some people will say, well, if I could just see the resurrected Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because there are idols of your heart, friends, that block your view of Christ. And instead of letting you see him, you know, he gives you, he gives you the covenant promises. And he reminds you in corporate worship that he's with you. And he sings over you as love. Do you believe that? In the midst of our wandering about his timing, take comfort. That's the first thing that Joshua reminds his people. His timing is never slow. Then you see the movement of his presence. He launches in in verse 6, and he says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. The good news, you came to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and all the greatest technology. And when you were at your wit's end, I divided the sea, and I let you go through. And not only that, but once you got over the sea, you conquered the two kings of the Amorites, Sihon, king of Bashan, and Og. And I gave them over to you on the eastern side of the river. And then you came over to the western side of the river through the, through the Jordan River and you conquered Jericho, the great fortified city. And now you've conquered all the people in the area after this five-year-long conquest. And you know what? You live in cities you didn't plan. You live in, off vineyards that you did not plant. I have given you everything. Do you trust me? And you see the movement of God's presence, that he protects you and he sustains you at every moment. He is there for you. And then he calls his people to stand in the moment, to see the mystery of God's timing, to see the movement of his presence in bringing you across the river to save you. And then he calls you in the moment and he says, okay, now this is the time. Who will you serve? 
Who will you serve? And you notice when he asks that question, we always think that the question is between the gods of Mesopotamia or the gods of the Amorites and the Lord, the one true God. But when Joshua asks that question, that's not who it's between. Choose from this day who you will serve. The two options are you will serve the gods of your fathers, the Mesopotamian gods, or you will serve the gods of the Amorites. Because your heart is always moving to worship something. And you by default have shown, Joshua says to Israel, time and time again, that you default to serve one of two pagan gods. And then Joshua goes so far as to say, you can't serve the Lord. Verse 19, lower your eyes to the text and look at it. Joshua says in a kind of strange reverse psychology, doesn't he? You can't serve the Lord. It is impossible unless you first recognize that the Lord has served you. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 4, that no eye has seen or ear has heard, no one has perceived a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And we stand as Christians. Please, if you're a non-believer in this room, please hear me. Please hear me. Those of us who believe in Christ believe in Christ because of what somebody else has done for us. And we are total screw-ups becoming more and more holy by God's grace alone. The vows that Marshandria and John and Adrian just took, it says, will you in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit endeavor to become followers of Jesus Christ, to become who you are in humble reliance upon the Holy Spirit because that promise would be impossible for them to take if that were removed from the question. When I was ordained, one of my ordination vows said, will you do all in your power to feed God's people through the teaching of his word by the grace of God? And with a trembling voice, I said yes, but I could never answer that question. I'd be a sitting duck unless it said by the grace of God. So non-believers, listen, if you're in this room, please keep coming. Keep asking questions about Christianity. Look at the incredible honesty that the Bible has about the, human li- the Christian life. It is not, it is not all glitter and sunshine. There's doubt and there's struggle. And we are being renewed day by day by the work of the Holy Spirit. And some of us, you will see work and all of our paths are different and the progressions, the speeds of those progressions are very different. But he's with you. But if you're a believer here, please hear me. Covenant renewal happens when you admit that many times your options of service are between two pagan deities. I will serve God if you sustain my health. I will serve God if you sustain my wealth. I will serve you, God, if you sustain my children. But God doesn't promise he'll do any of those things. He gives us himself. And that is far better. All throughout the book of Joshua, we have said that the land in the book of Joshua is not a geographic, not a geopolitical land. It is a picture, it is a metaphor of the land of your hearts. And God is calling you to take the land, to get up off of your excuses 
in light of what he's done for you and to become who you are in your generosity, in your love for those who are hard to love, and being willing to be misunderstood by hanging around people who are sinners, of being able to love God's word and to feed on it and to get your nose in the book and to learn it, not in effort to earn God's love, but because you have it. And as you do that more and more, you are just as Israel was taking the land of your heart. But the very end of Joshua leaves us in Joshua chapter 24 asking the question, what therefore will you do with all that God has done for you, leading you into the land, claiming it, calling you to obey him, to trust him at his word, what will you do? Because you, just like the readers of Joshua for the first time, who were whom? Those in the generation of the judges, as we said last week, who did what was right in everybody's eyes. You are called. You are called to embrace God in the midst of the mystery of his timing, to trust him with his promises, and to rest in his finished work. And then to get up and to serve the Lord only because there was one who came, the true Israel, to call us, the new Israel, the church, to serve and love and obey what the Lord calls us to do because Jesus Christ served him perfectly in his life and died the sacrificial death in our place so that we might be able to say honestly, without hesitation, Yes, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Friends, do you believe that? If you're here and you're not a believer, what are those doubts that prevent you from believing? Let's name them together. And then to see God being with you in the midst of all of your objections, to lay down your deadly doings, Admits you being tired and lonely and exhausted and distracted. And take comfort that Jesus extends his hand to you and says, Come, receive my promises. For my presence is the power to give you the courage that you need now and always. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray that you will help us to remember that repentance is not just the way into the Christian life, but it is the way we progress in the Christian life. Would you help me, the older that I get, to come to a blunt honesty about the depth of my sin? And would you help me to be able to allow you to renew me more and more, to be quicker to repent? Father, help us to see the idols beneath our sin and see the idols beneath the idols so we might be able to confess and be able to rest in your covenant promises that are true and good for us. And protect us, we pray. Protect us from running from the Mesopotamian gods to the Amorite gods. Remind us that you protect us and that you work everything out for our good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose.
And we pray that you might renew us as a young church plant to love and serve this city as those who have an alien righteousness and have been given the confidence to go and serve you with boldness because, Jesus, it is your record of righteousness that has become our own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.